Welcome to the Ask a Flame Artist podcast presented by Logic.tv. I'm your host, Randy McEntee, and today I'm joined by flame artist MB Amy. MB, how's it going? Going well. Busy, busy, busy. Oh, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Autodesk flame and career-related questions by providing you access to experience and expertise from the community. You can submit questions on the forums at forum.logic.tv. The questions are anonymous, so it's a great chance to ask something you've always wanted to know, but perhaps it's too tender to share publicly. If you really dig what we're up to, support us on Patreon. We are working flame artists just like you, and joining us means bigger and better things for all of us. We got three levels of membership with swag, discount codes, and the highly popular patrons-only Q&A sessions, and more. Coming soon is the highly requested 3.2 anamorphic level, as well as dun-dun-dun, 8K. Stop putting it off. You know you want to. You know you should. Go to patreon.com slash logic TV and join us today. Holy cow, Andy. That's a lot of stuff I got to say at the beginning of these podcasts, isn't it? Yeah, now you know how Andy feels every week. <laughs> <laughs> do we really care how Andy feels? Yeah, no, of course nah, we do. Nah, we do. Well, let's see. We got a lot of good questions today. You want to jump in and uh, get us cooking on the first one? Sure. I can make up answers. Let's go. All right, cool. Well, you want, let's, let's, well, we got legitimate questions. We'll start with that. <laughs> okay, I'll give you legitimate answers. All right, cool. Um, all right, Kirk from New York asks, I'm curious how other longtime freelancers deal with booking conflicts such as company A wants to book the second week of the month and you give them a first hold. Company B wants to book the whole month and challenges for the week held by company A. Company A books, hosing you, the freelancer, from three weeks of work. I've seen this play out a couple of ways. I pulled my first hold from company A, pissing them off. I've negotiated sharing arrangements and gotten both to book the same time available. But I've also seen steely-eyed freelancers go to company A and say, if you want this booking, you have to book the whole month, which is something I've never had the nerve to try. So my question is, to what extent do you make your clients aware of each other and the effect their decisions have on your professional life? Hmm, good that's, question. It's a great one. What do you think, MB? Well, I think I've experienced all those scenarios, which I think every <laughs> freelancer has. So yeah, yeah. you're not alone. Um, for me, it really, it, it's a it's a balancing act. And it depends on the client. It depends on the job. Mm. I try and be as transparent as possible. I don't necessarily give names. Mm. But I've found honesty and transparency usually works the best. I try to build relationships. So I will put a first hold. Mm -hmm. Anybody after that is usually a second hold because they all can, you know, challenge if they want. Right. And um, a lot of times the first hold, I will feel out, say, hey, I've got other people biting. Do you think it's real or not? Hmm. And I kind of play the dodging game. And um, but whoever books gets me now, say I have a hold for a month and somebody or I have a hold for a week and somebody wants to book me for a month. Yeah. I let the week hold. No, Hey, I got a month's worth of work. Can you cover that? And nine, in fact, 10 times out of 10, they'll usually go, no, go do what you got to do. But if, for Oh, me, interesting. Okay. So you'll say you've got, okay. So you'll say, look, I got a month and they, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and for me, I've been doing this a while. So a lot of the companies I work with know me and I have relationships with. Mm-hmm. So they're all pretty, I, I keep it on a pretty cool level. Like, Hey, I don't want to burn you. If you don't burn me, if it's somebody new, then I do go, hey, I have this hole. You have to challenge. If mm. you win the challenge, you get it. You know. Okay. But, so in so in 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 your case, you do a little bit make a client aware of each other. Obviously, I think naming names is terrible. You never want to do that. No, that's that's never, never, that. never, never a good choice. Um, but you'll use the time of your of your second hold to leverage your first. Is what you're saying. Yeah, if I'm gonna get a month booking that's ready to go and I'm mm. one week cold, there's three weeks I could lose. Yeah. So I will say, you know, and if they're really dependent, and then whoever has that week, if it's a long time client, they're like, mm. I really need you that week and I can't do the month, could you? Mm. Then I might go to the second company going, they really want to buy me for that first week. Can you still use me the last three weeks or something? Like right. 
it, it really is a balancing act. Other artists, they really have strict ways of doing things. Me, I try, I always, I always go to client. I want mm. relationship, but I want boundaries. Right. So I work both against the middle. So okay. there's a good non-answer answer. How's that? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, well, that's what sounds what Kirk is doing a little bit. I think he's yeah. also asking for a little bit of validation to see how other people do it. Um, so I, I have a, I have a controversial idea. Um, may as well, sometimes I do this, it's not often, but sometimes I don't ever give a first hold to someone unless it is for a long period of time or, or it's like, you know, it's my, my top three clients who I've got a great relationship with and it's profitable for me. Um, and that's, that doesn't happen all the time. You know, it's a little naughty sometimes, but that's one way to do it. Like, you know, never give a first hold until you'd be really excited to take that booking. Um, so well, that's an option. That, actually, that kind of fits the clients I have. The first mm -hmm. hold I have tend to be my longstanding good clients. Ah, um, so do you give a first hold to, to a new, uh, to someone that you've never worked with before? Only if I, I only if I'm wide open and I'm like, well, I have nothing going on. I don't see anything going on, but that rarely happens. Um, usually, I do have a first hold with three or four of my good clients. I mean, mm -hmm. I tend to be booked, luckily, knock on wood, um, with them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and and when in doubt, if I'm really not sure about the job, you bring up a good point. I will do a second hold. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'd really love to work with you. I have a first hold. I have a second hold. It's challengeable. Mm -hmm. And then depending on what they do, I can say, nope, you know, they booked and I can't take your job or, sure. I can take job, you know, so. Sure. Have you ever received kickback or, um, or do you ever, do you ever hear anyone say, well, you never give me a first, you only give me a second hold or is there any, have you ever kind I've of never, any, re no, I've no retaliation or no bad juju from. No. Yeah. No, I haven't actually. Maybe I'm lucky. No. Well, there you go. Have you? Have you? I, I, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I've <laughs> been freelancing much less than you have about a year. Oh. <laughs> so I, I'm a newbie. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think pretty quickly you figure out who butters your bread and vice versa, and. Yeah. I, we're, we're so not in control of our schedules and lives. I think this is one area that if, if you, you know, if you did have the confidence uh, and especially now with the market picking up and, you know, in kind of April, 2021, you know, maybe you do have options. So in a, in a month booking, like, I mean, that puts a lot of milk in the fridge. So a month booking is great. I'll get a month hold, which always makes me go, Hmm, they want three days in that month. <laughs> do they want a week right. in that month. Like what do they want to do? I get that a lot. Um, but, uh, and again, I'll give a second hold to somebody who's new that once a month, cause I'm mm -hmm. having a feeling that it's, you know, but usually if they look for like, I just had a client that could guarantee two months work straight. Wow. And, um, which is rare, but like you said, yeah. April 2021, it's been busy. So right. I guess my overall motto for this Kirk is know your clients, you're in a, in a client oriented business but keep your boundaries. So figure out what works for you, what you're comfortable with doing and balance the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or just be steely and never give a first and only give a first with someone <laughs> like, and I, I think, it, I, you know, to kind of put the bow on that, I am really excited by relationships with clients that I'm, that, that fulfills my, my different buckets of like, you know, it's a good schedule. It's good creative. It's good people. And it's a, it's a booking that helps me in my situation. So if it's a, if it's a one week and you had three and you know, you got the week confirmed and you lost that on three, I mean, the whole week you'd be kind of bummed. Right. So, you know, I think it's all, always in your best interest to, 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 to manipulate the situation to find the best outcome for you because you're just, willing to give great service. And like you said, MB, that's incredibly important. It's a service oriented business. And maybe that, that should be the, the guiding light, if that makes sense. Um, I, I, I do. I think, well, I think both should. Yeah, it is service guiding light. But hey, you got your boundaries, you got to feed your peeps, you got to yep. take care of yourself, you know, your soul, you got to. So for me, my big thing is people. I 
at this point in my career, it's the people that matter. I want to mm. work with people I like. Yeah. We all get good and bad creative, you know. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to clean up somebody's butt cheek somewhere, you know. Yep. So, totally. But if it's with fun people, I don't mind, you know, kind of a thing. Okay, so, cool. There you go. Hope that helps. All right. Well, moving on, uh, let's check out, uh, let's check out the next question. Richard from Auckland has a very uh, specific question about anamorphic workflow. He says, anamorphic, stretch, squeeze, or keep anamorphic? What do you think, MB? Is this something that you have a lot of experience with? Um, I actually, it comes and goes. I go through periods of episodic where that'll come up more, and then I go through commercials that don't. Um, I stretch it so I can see it. I mean, it and it also depends on where I'm freelancing. Sometimes mm. there's a workflow in place, so it can run the gamut. What about you? Well, let's see. Um, so the stretch, squeeze, or keep. It sounds like there's really three options, right? So when you when you see an anamorphic image where everyone looks tall and skinny, like pre-COVID bod, um, I guess you you've got <laughs> you've got three choices, right? Do you do you stretch it? Let's see. We'll see. Stretch, yeah, stretch it vertically. Do you squeeze it horizontally, or or actually? No, it's opposite. This is the opposite way, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, yeah. I was like okay. stretch it skinny vertically, isn't it? Like thin man. Well, I guess that's what he's asking. Is 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 if something's tall and skinny, how do you make them not tall and skinny? Do you do you take the whole image and scale it on the Y? Do you scale on the X, or do you not and just work on it anamorphic? Um, yeah. So I I don't know if I've ever changed the X scale of an image. I'm usually in my, in my background, it's usually been, you just mess with the Y scale uh, yeah. to make it look right. I do um, fix it scale usually to the project setting, you know, if you, what the product project settings are. Right. So and if, yeah, and if but then you can squeeze it back at the end to put it back in. Sure. That's right. And if the if the metadata on the clip is correct, all you have to do is turn on the keep ratio button in the player and that sorts it all out. I, I, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. 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 So the keep the keep the keep ratio button is in the player. And if the aspect ratio and the metadata of the clip is correct, meaning the height times the width times the pixel aspect ratio gives you the the, the image aspect ratio. So height times width times pixel aspect ratio or PAR gives you what the image actually should look like. And if all that's right, you turn on the keep ratio button and then kind of well, frames your nan, right? That works when you need to give them back what they gave you so they can go to color and anamorphic. Mm -hmm. I've also had it where it's going to the 1920 by 1080 timeline. Right. So there you will stretch it and work on it based on what the timeline needs. And sure. not go back to anamorphic. Sure. Correct? I mean, I mean, I mean, th I think so. I think so. I, I guess, I guess the long answer is I've done it all three ways. I've done, mm -hmm. uh, I've, but I've most often just kept it anamorphic because, uh, and when I say keep anamorphic, obviously the destination timeline is typically HD sixteen nine, right? So you're gonna you're gonna work on a tall and skinny picture, and then you're gonna force it to look normal or look correct, or mm -hmm. a circle is a circle in an HD timeline. Um, and then typically the projects always have some kind of outsourced roto or paint or CG aspect where, you know, other friends from other departments need to work on it. So um, very rarely in that case will I change the image, uh, especially if we have to round trip through an external vendor or color where they've gotten a production drive and, you know, so that gets messy quick, doesn't it? That's the ratio. That's when I work with ratio. So it's almost like a viewing light. Yeah. You, know, so you can see what you're doing, but you're not changing the aspect ratio. Yeah, I, I think that's important because these days, well, you know, back in the day when you had film and you were and you had a telesending next to you, you know, you were the only, you were the keeper of the image. You know, you could dictate a lot, but now that there's production drives, you could have a clone and you need to, you know, you might be working from the RAWs and our transcodes and the color house might be doing something. And and I think that's the real risk is is when those things aren't the same, yeah, yeah, yeah. then you're in trouble, I mean, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'd, I'd say I'd, I'm a big fan of keeping it anamorphic um, and dealing with it that way and, and letting the CG friends do their thing and, and, and keeping it there. So I don't know. That's, that's my vote. If I had to choose. I would agree around tripping it. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, next up, let's look at, uh, let's ask a question from Alpha Curious. <laughs> it's, a great, <laughs> it's a great name. Like uh, Alpha Curious asks, how do alpha channels in Flame work? Like, how do you combine, subtract, and add things with a mat? Also, using multiple masks in action is confusing. For example, exclusive, not inclusive. Um, MB, what do you think? I think, I well, I'm the painter artist, flame artist. <laughs> so when it comes to the mass and the technology, I just, uh, I go to what works for me. And when I do things with alpha channels, I tend to use comp, but then I started watching Logic Lives mm -hmm. and Andy Dill, the master sometimes has tricks and many of the others, they use comp blend nodes for different reasons and the maths of it and how it works. So I learn mm -hmm. a lot that way. Um, Sam Edwards is one that's taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. So how do they actually work is probably not in my bailiwick to give you a technical answer. Um, I, there's many of the logic forums that you can go to. Mm -hmm. But for me, usually if I'm combining them, I use comp nodes or um, something like that. When it comes to multiple masks in action, confusing. Um, I don't I don't know really what that question is. Maybe you can mm. get that one, Randy. Well, yeah. I, I, well, I think... The, well, the, well, let's just say that masks in action, like using a G mask object in action, I think the strength of that node is is more about punching a hole through the viewport and and supporting compos simple compositing tasks. I agree. Like combining masks and G masks in action in a three D environment, I was like, that's that that blows my gourd. Like I I don't my you know agreed. It's confusing. Well, I um, guess you're talking to an old schooler here. So I'm used to the batch <laughs> thing. So I, when I started on Flame, before they even had action, <laughs> the next big thing was action. So we used action for everything, but it was, mm. wasn't the action now. Then you went to batch. Well, then it was doing the batch, you know, the long batch mm -hmm. line. I still favor course because that's what I like. I've worked with a lot of artists. We pass things back and forth. It's easy to see. So yeah. I'm slow at getting back into action for everything. So I don't quite use that as much. I do it right. more. So okay. So yeah. Well, I, 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 I think. Well, I think that makes sense too. I think pre, like just doing your your math in in batch, you know, upstream of stuff makes sense. Um, and I think how to do it. Well, you know, once you have a a little white circle on a black background, you know, mm -hmm. using add and subtract. And you know to 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 combine maths is good. I think the tricky with the thing with add is you get numbers higher than one. Yeah, I tend to use screen more than. One. Yeah, so like screen would be a, if you had like a like a, like two different maths, you'd use screen to combine them into one. Yeah, but I just heard something on Logic Live that I want to revisit that made me rethink that, and I can't hmm. remember who brought it up. But one well, of those juicy tidbits. Well, it might be, it's all about transitions and edges probably. And I don't, I'm not yeah. a huge technical person either, but typically screening mats together has worked well for me. I think you also have to be considerate of adding and subtracting and creating values above one and, and below well, zero. Multiply. Yeah, exactly. So honestly, I think it just, you know, trying a few different things, like it's pretty quick and easy to switch them around and, and see what works for you. Also different color spaces have different problems or different uh, different need different solutions there or need different solves as Andy Dill would say. Um, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but an alpha channel is just helping you make a selection and, and understanding some of the explicit math is helpful, but I think you only really need three or four, right? Add, subtract, yeah, multiply I screen. Tend to, I tend to lean towards those. I, I play with all the others just mm -hmm. to see if, some, if something will work, but I would, I would highly suggest you put this on the forum. This would be a great forum. You know what that actually would do? I think what we could do is we can maybe put some example options and just call, because I think this is such a rich and, and there's so many different ways to do it. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about mats in the timeline and mat containers. Um, and mat container, yeah. Yeah. So I, th I think we'll start a, an open conversation there just because it's, you know, this could, this I'm somewhat, someone has probably written a, a whole book about this topic. Um, but in the, in the meantime, hopefully uh, alpha curious, um, you know, <laughs> honestly, like if you've got a couple of mats that you need to combine, you know, add screen, if you need to exclude one from another, multiply or subtract, 
and then negative. Well, of course. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't done much with it. I honestly have. I, I think I do it more like you do, MB, where it's it's like comp and subtract, not using. I usually do it in the batch, you know, the batch line. But I have started to use GMAS Tracer, where I can do multiple shapes and then set it up within there. Now, it's still a little confusing to me because I got to learn what the multiply would be in the tracer. I think it's a little different, but what mm. they call it, you know, right. kind of. So right, there's another option. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if anyone uses the blend and comp, uh, let us know in the forums because that's that seems to be the old dark art node that uh, gets less love than perhaps it ought to. Someone in one of the Logic Lives said they like to use, I think, I think I can remember, again, old schooler here, mine is not <laughs> quite the same, but I went, oh, you could use that node for it. And that's how they combine their nodes. Sure. I, I think. Oh, and one one way that's um, that's a little bit more old school is, um, is is years ago there used to be the logic op node, which is a vi- which was the precursor oh, to the cob. Don't even open that can of worms, dude. Well, I'll just say I'll say there is a logic op croc matchbox croc logic op, which is reminiscent of that more simpler and perhaps beginner friendly way to to use masks or to to to, to combine or subtract masks. So give the croc logic op matchbox um, a try. That could be worth looking at. But yeah, that's a- You hit an old soul nerve there. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the cilantro of nodes, right? You love oh, it. Oh, when that went away, man, the uproar, including myself. <laughs> I know. All right, Chad wants to know, as someone who started their flame career as an editor and then moved to VFX, I still have a hard time knowing which to use desktop batch reels or BFX. Most of the feature work I do is use, I'm using the desktop batch reels. And for my episodic work, I enjoy working in BFX. So my question would be, what do you feel are the benefits of just working in the desktop batch reels or in the timeline using BFX? Wow. That's a good question. Yeah. What do you think? What's your, uh, what's your style? Both. Um, if it's a heavy batch, desktop batch. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's commercials, episodic features, music video, whatever. Define heavy. Um, Longer than 10 minutes? Do, <laughs> yeah, well, heavy meaning either motion vectors or I have to do a lot of pre-renders or there's mm. tons of layers and comps. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I'm doing a commercial and I have to clean this up or paint this out or fix it, I'll use a batch effects. Mm-hmm. If I'm sparing a shot or if I have to move shots, I'll use a batch. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, desktop batch. Okay. But it really varies and it depends on the shot and the workflow for mm. me. I go both ways. Okay. That makes sense. I think um, I think BFX is brilliant for those little one-offs like, uh, like maybe it's a static camera and there's... Uh, you know, a sandbag in the corner that you need to clone out for a little bit. Um, and you're not working with other artists. Um, I think that's a great opportunity to use BFX. Um, but MB, like you said, if you're working with multiple people or, are you going to start something and pass it off? I think having a contained batch makes sense. So I think we're in agreement there. Um, BFX used to get a lot of rap for being, unstable and 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 losing your setups and that dreaded whatever that thing is you double click on it i haven't actually had that as much lately i i just used them in the last few months Mm -hmm. quite a lot actually Mm -hmm. clean up um and then if i find my batch effects starting to get big Hmm. i will just drag it to my user bin open a batch reel turn it into a full-blown desktop batch sometimes Mm -hmm. i'll do that so Oh, that's a good idea. So that's so that's your style of promoting that BFX to batch is just to drag it to your user bin. Yeah, oh, that's use that trick a lot. Especially that's if I'm going to copy parts of a batch to another batch too. Mm-hmm. That user bin is is key for me for a lot of things hmm. for continuity. So. That's clever. Yeah, I think if also too if you had you know if you were in a larger facility and maybe you had burn or 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 background reactor and you could do a lot of background rendering. I think having a timeline where you can set up a bunch of shots, like actually 
setting up a like a like a 30 second ad with five or six different screen comps that are all the same mm-hmm. camera angle is really great in BFX because you could set them up, not render anything and just, you know, use the first mm-hmm. frame to like, you know, get it looking all about right and making sure that it looks good and then and then either render it there or like you said you know, drag it to your user bin and rebuild that in batch so you can have it rendered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if I was working on a big show with multiple artists, I'd probably use BFX less. And especially if I had to publish for color, I'd go a, a, a uh, batch, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 BFX is usually timeline for me tends to be commercial and it's down and dirty stuff that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if I'm sharing or showing or definitely desktop batch, especially, and now with connected conform, mm. it creates your batch reels and then it updates. So right. That's good too. So. Right. Really depends on the job and the workflow. Okay. And then I think too, just to give everyone a, a little taste of, of, I mean, of our, what we typically work on. So you do mostly commercials MB, is that right? Um, well, it, var- it, it goes in spurts. Okay. Um, I've done feature. Then I started getting into episodic and always commercial. Commercial mm. has always been my mainstay because I started in commercials mm-hmm. um, back in the day. And lately it's been more commercial. Um, but I just, I, I'm working on a feature, not a feature, episodic last week. So it kind of goes back and forth. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that's great. I, I, I'm all commercial. I mean, I, I may have done a music video here and there, but. Um, You're lucky if it's just. A music video here and there. Yeah, I had hair before the music video. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's. Okay, I think we've we've st- we've helped chat out on the BFX first deck, and maybe we'll open up in the forums too, because I'm sure a lot of people else have um have, have some different styles. I, I can guarantee you there's opinions there. For sure. <laughs> that's one thing our community has uh, is very good at is providing. Oh, I guess that's our job, isn't it? Awesome. That's how I learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, Mazakin asks the following question. Mazakin asks, I need to upload my project archive to the client. If I run the archive without media and cache, they should, in theory, have everything they need to open it because they supplied me the footage in the first place, like Mm -hmm. footage and graphics and supers and legals. However, graphics people often name files with the same name, just changing the folder date. Like Mm -hmm. they only move the headstones, so to speak. How will they know which file to relink the media to? And how can I make this work without wasting time and space uploading footage they already have? Also, what's the reason someone would need to unlink the media before running the archive versus just running without media and cache? What is the advantage to unlinking the media? Okay, that's a couple of different. Take, you take this one first. That's, oh, I was kind of hoping you'd take this one. Well, I don't share. I don't have. If I share an archive, mm-hmm. it's usually with the post side, and I always put the media in it so I know I know it's foolproof. Um, okay. Oh well, that, that I don't well, ever not. Un, I, I mean, I've never had to not link because, as he is saying, I can't guarantee they know where that shit is or they haven't. Usually someone's moved it. Some PA moved it because they want space and I'm not there. I can't show them where to relink it. So okay, I haven't actually done that. So. Sure. Okay. So how, what percentage of time do you share an archive period? Oh, I, I, I would say 80% and it's usually okay. with, another post facility that I'm working with. So other artists can either use it or they have it in case the job comes back. Okay. So you, okay. So, so, so they just send you the stuff. They want you to solve it and they don't care. They just want the archive back so they can put it on a shelf or ingest it if they need to. If if the job comes back and they need to change it super other places, I hold the archives. They just hire me, subcontract me. I keep it. If they have a change, they call me. Okay. Okay. So those are the my two main scenarios, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I've seen it a few different ways, and I can tell you that supplying an archive to the client without media for me in commercials is very rare, and that's because it requires, you know, 
the studio or your client to have a very specific and publicly known and consistent folder structure and naming conventions, right? So like maybe they download something, they send it to you and they say, can you create the same path on your machine? Yeah. Well, you know, then all of a sudden that gets, that, that's, that, that, that can happen. It happens successfully in a few places, um, but you gotta be tremendously well-organized and also have the time to, to deal with that. Um, well, which, I think back in the day, I didn't do it once. It was, it was something else, but it, it was where they needed the same file path. Mm -hmm. And even though they said, we didn't change anything, somebody did without right. somebody else knowing. And like he says, all the folk, they, they go by folder, not by name. So right. you can't guarantee the other side. Right. Me. Right. Well, whenever I've, I have had to do that, there's, there's two main ways you can do it kind of like, like an unlink relink in the timeline. Whereas like maybe you, you provided with uh, some footage and that was maybe color correction version one. And then oh. you can right click unlink and reconform it based on, you know, you know, set it to a new path. Mm -hmm. um, I have occasionally used the, um, oh, I'm opening up flame right now. That's the, uh, that's the uh, the media local path translation, oh, and that yeah. that's a little bit more black belt. That's in in Flame preferences storage, um, mm -hmm. where you can basically create rules to say like, okay, well, you know, if all my media was at slash volume slash storage, and I needed my media to be at slash volume slash frame store, you can create a rule that says slash volume slash storage is the same as slash storage slash frame store. Now wait slash volumes. Well, you know what I mean? Um, Interesting. I've never, I've never used that. Learned something new. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's, that's in the, that's in flame. And that's probably what, um, what the, 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 the Mazikeen was asking. Um, that's a path translation table. That's basically allowing you to make different folder paths the same, even though they may be relative or absolute. Well, um, I thought he was asking about the other side, not his side. So well, they well, take it, they try to open it, but the, it doesn't know where to go. Oh, so you're saying that side can tell it where to go. Yeah. So, cause like if I have a frame store, I'm on a Mac, my frame store is slash volume slash uh, a disc or sla mm -hmm. slash volume slash Randy. Um, but they're, if they're on a Linux machine, well, their, their frame store isn't their frame store is that slash MNT slash storage media slash don't FS that whatever. Um, and so the media path translation is a way around that, but typically people send me stuff so they don't have to deal with that nonsense. <laughs> so most of the time I'm sending huge archives and that's the reason I've, I've spent a lot of money on high speed internet. Um, so if you do, if you do want to work that out with your clients, I'd say that's great. I think, look, that's a brilliant solution that brings up all kinds of interesting workflows where you can send unlinked archives back and forth very quickly. I mean, an unlinked archive is, you know, 30, 40, 50 oh, megs. Yeah. It's like you could, you could email it to someone. Um, but it well, does a lot of times, I'm sorry. A lot of oh. times what's been happening for me lately, because I'm working with other artists, we don't mm -hmm. do archives. We do batch setups. Mm -hmm. And then all you need to do is put the clip in. So it's depending on what you need to archive, what they need. Right. But I have been doing that a lot more because it's super fast. Like you can slap it to them if you want. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So we've opted for that over archives. So that would be like, like you both have the same background and you're doing a different comp. You do a comp and then just slack them or zip, send them back. A, and then a, they put a, their twist on the comp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's really clever. And I think, the unlinked media uh, or the unlinked archive is is powerful, but it does require the sender and receiver to be really buttoned up and probably to work some stuff out ahead of time. I agree. Okay. Um, and then the last the last little chunk of that question is the, the reason someone would need to unlink the media before running the archive versus just running the without media and cache. Um, I so don't... Nice. Well, I don't think you need to unlink the media before running the archive because I don't I, think you do either. It doesn't have any media. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not aware of of any benefit. Uh, I mean, every once in a while, 
I'll do an archive that's unlinked that I don't use. I'm sorry. When I do an, un, an archive without using cached media and out using renders and every once in a while it's a little bigger than I'd think, but I usually go back and it's because there's a, a pre-rendered clip in there or, a, or, or, or even just a, a rendered BFX perhaps. Um, so I'm not aware of any advantage. I, I just, you know, I don't, it's like, I've got an archive into my flame or I got my media, in my flame. Last thing I want to do is unlink it and make it harder for myself, but I'll send it. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. Don't want to. <laughs> All right. Mazakin also wants to know what's the best way to relink media that moved. Can you relink it for an entire project or do you have to do it for every shot or reel separately? Um, I think yeah. I know the answer to that. Um, I, I guess it depends. If I just have a handful of shots, I might just unlink and relink in the timeline as if, or, or in the library, as if like, you know, I was conforming something. Yeah, conforming. That's how I do it. Too. That's how you do it? Yeah. Um, in, in the flame preferences, though, there is uh, flame preferences storage. There is a media location path translation window, and that's a mouthful. Um, so media location path translation, it basically allows you to create rules and say, okay, uh, if my media was at slash volumes slash flame and I needed to move or the media moved to slash volumes slash storage, then you can create a rule that says, okay, change the, the path to be from this path to that path and all of your clips will relink to the new path. And I've used that before. It's 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 a great tool. Um, and I think what I'd suggest is if you want to use that, just make a really simple project with like three clips in a timeline, and then create a new project. And and you know if you're on a Mac, just physically move it to a different subfolder and create rules so you can understand the source path, source path, <laughs> and just the source path. Hey, that's three times <laughs> the source path, um, the source path, and the destination path. Um, cause once you figure that out, it's actually really simple. Um, so those are the two ways that I would suggest. And I haven't had a big, I've just done it. Yeah. Putting it like a form, put it in a timeline. Yeah. That'd be a, a natural problem. If, uh, if you have two machines in a facility where one's a Mac and one's a, a Linux machine, because the mount paths of the frame stores are different. are different. Yeah. So, so yeah, check out media location path translation. Say that five times fast in uh, flame preferences storage. Can I answer the next one? Yeah, which one do you wanna to go to? I'm gonna talk to Jake. It's been a while. He asks how I'm doing. Jake, doing fine, doing great, how are you? I miss seeing you as in the olden days. Quit saying olden days, you're, you're dating me. Sorry, <laughs> no specific flame questions. You never did, you never did. So how did you feel hanging in there with the flame? Well, hanging is the key word. <laughs> Miss you, buddy. Jake and I go way back. Uh, first, I think it was the very first flame user group, technical user group, like five of us around yep. the flame with a couple beers. Jake was one of them. So, Miss you, Jake. Miss you a lot. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Jake submitted a form, submitted a an anonymous question uh, asking how you're doing. Um, not so anonymous now. <laughs> not, not as now, Jake from Minneapolis, at a five hundred four Bell Street. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, here's a here's a here's a softball. Uh, Sid from New York wants to know what is your favorite node. Do you have a favorite node, MB? Uh, favorite. Well, okay. This one's controversial. Um, a node I like to use a lot because I come from a fine art background <laughs> is Paint. Okay. But, Wait, so desktop or or batch? Well, now batch. And batch, I, okay. I get, well, when's the last time I used desktop paint? Don't even know. Okay. Um, so I like paint a lot because mm -hmm. it gets me out of a lot of corners, <laughs> but it's paint. <laughs> right. So there you go. So I have my love-hate relationship with paint because it's much better than it used to be. Yeah. Um, especially when the dreaded before they fixed where I wanted a sequence paint, it, I'd forget to set that. I'd paint a whole frame and then oh, go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know uh, about you know about the Python script that sorts that out, don't you? I do. Yes. Life has got much better. And now with 2022, this whole idea of set key, where you paint a frame and don't have to mux after it. Cool. Have you seen that yet? <gasps> oh no, I haven't. I've I've I I I downloaded 2022 a couple of days ago, but I haven't 
and I've been using the new camera analysis, but I haven't oh, checked out the new. Oh, that camera analysis is awesome. I know. We need to. We need to have a. We need to have a, a, a nerd session about that because it's. Hey, it's... Andy, listening. Andy, listening. <laughs> <laughs> I think, so, I think so, so yeah, so uh, paint would be one that's a go-to. Has always been a go-to. Uh, my old EP used to say, "Paint your way out of it, Andy." <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, okay. but then again, it comes with its um, its, its uh, nuances of that. Yeah, because you got to do it over and over again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I do not have a fine art background, shocker. Um I that's why I like pixel spread. <laughs> no, I think um for all the things that you know, like I I I I have a difficult time making stuff look good sometimes and um and pixel spread and its newest sexier uh friend on the block infill blur have you used infill oh, yeah. blur infill. oh yeah. yeah so infill blur is the is a is a is an autodesk provided matchbox and that plus like croc beauty plus a2 oh, beauty oh, are like yeah. Yeah. i mean if you could do screen comps and if you knew those four nodes like you could have a long beautiful career <laughs> well there's always the when in doubt, blur it out. No, flare it out. <laughs> what? Uh -oh. Flare it <laughs> oh, out. From What's... the feature world, the feature world. When in doubt, flare it out. All my Marvel backgrounds. It's like, girl, oh. Good. oh, that's and amazing. Sapphire Glow. Sapphire Glow is like, hands down, my favorite. But yeah, Sapphire Glow. Sapphire Glow. Well, we used, to, we used a trick with Sapphire Glow for edge wrapping that's awesome. Um, the the glow that you get, I, mm -hmm. I haven't been able to do in optics as much, but... Wait, wait, edge, so... Oh, light wrapping using glow? Light wrapping using Sapphire Glow. And How do you do that invert, in a nutshell? An invert, there's a whole... It's it's nice, but... So. Oh, oh, so you... you invert wait. glow and a mat, and it fills it in nicely with... You glow the background. I don't. I, You'd have to see it. Okay. Tell you without sitting in a flame with a pen in my hand. <laughs> That's wait, we're not. Wait, you're not sitting in front of a flame right now. How dare you? Um, could you could you do a little post on that glow? Because I've always wondered. I've always wondered how. Because light wrap is one of those things that there's a million different ways to do it, and I think using yeah. sapphire glow would be really interesting, especially. Uh, uh, Brian from Boris Effects would be happy that we're talking about his product and we're reminding everyone that you could save 50% oh, Boris, at BorisFX.com. I went back, <laughs> we used the very first Sapphire Sparks with Carl when he made them before he sold them. And we used them on a Smashing Pumpkins video. And I did <laughs> off. Yeah, we had it. Oh, it was crazy. And I did, I actually spoke at an NAB about it and showed footage of it at a podium that was too tall for me. <laughs> I didn't talk over, and it was really wow. all sapphire glows. Very, very first one. So I've been a fan from the beginning. Okay. And well, Boris has only taken it to another level. So there you yeah, go. their new stuff is good. Um, all right. Well, let's let's maybe we can put that in the forums. The the sapphire glow ledge wrap or okay. light wrap because I think that'd be yeah. That's a that's a that's a smart that's that's a that's instant classic right there. All right. Okay. I think we've got time for one more question. Uh, maybe two. Uh, Dave from Chicago. Dave asks, what is your conforming strategy before getting going finishing? The final goal is 1920 by 1080, but the source media is 4K or something else. Do you import as 1080 or do you do the source size? What are some big gotchas to look out for when doing repos to match the offline that could come back to bite you when you get into VFX and exports? MB, what do you think? Well. I always feel it's best to do the, um, the 4K image because changes always happen down the road. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've even been told it'll never go above 1920-1080. Okay, great. And then you get to socials one by one. Oh, mm -hmm. well, they used another part of the, you know, I had to have the bigger frame. So if you can, that's what I use. If it's a low budget, down to dirty, need it tomorrow, don't have time for 4K. Mm -hmm then we, I'll take the chance, you mm -hmm. know, o only after I've said, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Right. But for the most part, I bring it in large. 
So. Okay, so you're you're a same as same as source gal. Very much, yeah. Okay. I've been bitten too many times in the butt. Okay, but what if it's six k or eight k? Uh, no, then I'll bring it down. I'll bring okay. it down. Yeah, I, I, well, I can't work with eight k. It's too big. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, I yeah. I I, don't, I mean, I always I always really wanted someone to give me an eight k footage, and then I turn around and asked, or like I invoiced them on one of those huge. And, and ask for one of those huge checks like you win in a lottery because like yeah. if you it's, it's if you yeah it's ridiculous if you want something that's 8k or 6k because 4k is four times the size of hd and 6k is what yeah. eight times the size of hd and yeah. 8k it's is just, what 16 times the size of yeah it's ridiculous no i haven't actually had that yet but if mm. i did no i would def but it definitely go above the 1920 1080 if mm. that was the final output because I do know okay. that you move, and especially if there's a lot of resizes and moves and stuff like that. So, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's there's a few different ways to go. I think if you're working locally and you're paying for everything, I think it's your interest to try and not be ridiculous about frame sizes. Yeah. So, you know, up to like 38, whatever the UHD is, that 3.8K, yeah. like or double HD, or, I think that's that's a sweet spot. Um, but the 4.8 K's or the 5.4 K anamorphic. Unless you know you're doing a pan and scan or some reason that you need the, like, yeah, right. it's too big for commercial usage. Yeah. I mean, plus like the storage costs are just getting crazy. Like, you know, if you have to pay for all that time. stuff, I, I think in the time. Yeah. I think having, time. yeah, I think an intermediate format could really make sense. Um, if you do an HD finish, I think it's like a, like a 2k or 2.5k or 2.8k. I think that's a good sweet spot. 3.2k is a good sweet spot, but anything above that. I think it's a little unruly yeah. and, and you don't have to, I don't for 99.9% of the commercials I do, that's not needed. Sure. So would you, when you're, okay, talk about repos real quick. Yeah. Is there a, a, a rule of thumb you have for repos? Like, do you go back to the raw for anything over a certain percent? Or like, do you have any, any? Uh, I'd have no rule of thumb. Didn't think about it that way. But I did just have this happen in my last job hmm. where they guaranteed it was 1920, 1080, um, staying at 1920, 1080. So I said, okay. And socials were just socials. And we'll just, you know, do that from the 1920, 1080. Mm -hmm. And we're using the ML time warp, which oh, is yeah. awesome, by the way. And on 1920, 1080, you know, worked great. So we did that and we did it all. And then we came to the socials and lo and behold, the one by one used parts of the image that weren't in the 1920, 1080. It was like, damn. So then I had to go back and do the, the 3.8K, you know, the larger plate, run it through the ML, which then that was a lot of time. Mm -hmm. but that's where it bit me in the butt. It was like, yeah. On a one by one. Yeah. Just for a one by one which so. is supposed to be like a direct, you know, yeah. make a square out of a exist. rectangle and <laughs> ship it. Doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. Not so, so Dave, I think the, the number one rule of thumb is don't, you can do your intermediate size change, right? You could resize something, right. but don't, don't lose information. So don't, so that's, I think the biggest yeah. problem you could make is like, don't lose, you know, if you, if you're given a big square work on a smaller square, but don't change, don't, don't lose stuff, right? Like don't, don't extract a rectangle out of a square when you want to work on a square, because eventually you might need the square. Um, uh, but you know, changing stuff within, you know, from 4k to 2k, that makes sense. Um, I know some people are really precious about making their 1080 by 1920s from, higher res thing i know a lot of people that just resize the darn 1920 1080 to 1080 1920 that's probably the biggest repo you'll do which is 200 percent um and plus people are going to look at it on a phone so like you know unless they've got one of those big checks and are willing to you know pay for more time i think finding something that works for you and is convenient and makes good data sense you know go from there um oh but and also just if you are going to do the resizing, you got to be really careful because if you're working with 16 bit images and you're using uh, resize algorithms in a timeline like Langshos or whatnot, you can introduce negative numbers 
which basically make little zebra jaggy edges on your thing. So just know if you're going to get into the business of resizing images that you understand some of the math of the resizes so that, you know, you don't go through the whole process and, and, and have a bad day on, on delivery day. Um, so that's my little. Did you, did you do a, a forum thing where I know it was about um, anti-aliases. Mm -hmm. Remember how you put, use this for this, use that for that. Did you do one oh. of resizes? Uh, I'm, I may have, but I think actually Andy Dill knows more about that. Uh, and he's got a good, actually I'm on the forums now. I'll, I'll double check. Um, but there's I'm a few of these. That would be a good little, uh, blurb for everybody to refer to. Yeah, I think there's, oh yeah. So there's a, there's a thread on the forums at forum.logic.tv called managing timelines with mixed tagged color spaces. And in there is a is is a good example of what happens when you resize high dynamic range images. Uh, and to paraphrase it using proper French, Andy Dill says it 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 screws them up. Um, so there's a if you're going to do that, check out that thread, and uh, you can ask more questions there because you know that's a that's one thing you want to do um, and be aware of. So okay, I think we. I think we covered that topic pretty well. Um, I love that... it. I love his first line of that. Oh, that was you. <laughs> Reading the forum. It fucks them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andy Dill is uh, <laughs> okay. speaking the Queen's French. All right. And Dave from Chicago has one more question. He asks, in your typical workflow, do you start your work before or after receiving the color grade? How do flame artists fit into the flow after the offline edit, then sending it for the grade? Would you start before, then swap source media with the graded files? For example, say the offline is being done in Premiere, the grade is Resolve, and then conformed for delivery back in Premiere. Where would the flame artist fit into that pipeline to keep things most efficient with half the shots of a 30 needing to be touched up in some way? Wow, that's a... That's a great question. I'm not sure we've got an hour to spend on that one, but let's dive in. What do you think, MB? Again, it's one of those varies questions. Um, mm -hmm. If I have a spot where it's going to be effects heavy and they haven't colored yet, I will start on the raw mm -hmm. and then I'll swap out once they color. Okay. Um, I and then on the but you got to be careful though, right? You got to be a little bit you, careful, you have right? To be very careful. Yeah. Yeah. And and. But I will get at least the bones set up, the batches set up, you know, so I can get started because mm -hmm. the color is not till later. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side, if I'm doing beauty work that really is color dependent, you know, of some sort, mm -hmm. um, I have to wait to color because using the rods, it, it's going to change. You know, sometimes right. some of the work I do um, depends on their workflow. You know, they're like. We're going to do editorial, go straight to color, give you the plates that I don't mm -hmm. have to choose. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, it really does vary. Um, I've done all of those scenarios. Mm -hmm. so, Is you? there, well, I was just thinking there's like, there's a way that I want to work. And then there's a way that sometimes I'm forced to work. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so I think if I could have my dream scenario, I think you work on the raw. But you also then need to know what the heck the grade is going to do or be to your stuff. And I never will know that. I can't get a lot like I can in episodic or, or features. I'm doing right. commercials. They, we haven't gone to color yet. You know, there, right. there's no knowing what that's going to look like. Right. So, so I think in, that. that's right. I think in, in, in the in like the 90s and 2000s, early 2000s and even into the early part of, of the 2010s or whatever that decade's called. The uh, what is that? The, the twenty whatever twenty ten something, um, in at least in the Midwest, the commercials were predominantly graded up front and then worked yeah. on afterwards as either eight bit or ten bit video space, right? Rec seven or nine, mm -hmm. um, and that was easy. Um, but it was also hard. It was easy because you knew what it should look like, but it was hard because, you know, a colorist job is to break stuff. You know they. They, they don't care what light does. They select things before you do and they change things a lot and they add vignettes and they add grain and they denoise and they add artifacts. And so it's like, okay, cool. I know what it should look like, but 
darn, it's hard to paint through this vignette. Um, and then also too, like this, our CG friends, they don't love that because they like to work before that because they prefer it to work how light works, which is additive and you know, ray tracers like light, um, not video. So I think it depends. I have done a combo where in certain shots or certain things where I'll use the wrong and then kick it back to color. Mm -hmm. Even after they've colored it, at least I know what they're going for. And then you get the whole CG ACES workflow in there too. With, right. And that has to go to color after. So yeah, again, there's multiple. Yeah, there's, there's multiple ways. And I think just by, by kind of reading his question again and looking at all the pieces, so it looks like they're 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 like a like a more like they they have like a an Adobe shop, right? So it's like a premiere centric, the little DaVinci yeah. Resolve. Dave's probably doing all this himself. Um in that case, I would conform, you know, if you're if you're finishing at a premiere, awesome. Like keep it there, uh, grade and resolve, and then maybe you just bounce out a few shots you need in flame. And I guess the question would be, what are you doing in flame? What is it? Like, it depends on what you're doing. If you are, um, maybe doing sky replacements, then maybe you want to work on it after you've graded it. Or yeah. if there's any CG component that's difficult, that requires a renderer or something to mimic how light works, then working before the grade is advantageous. Um, but it's also hard because colorists will break what compositors do and <laughs> the other way around so you know if you are that one person that gives you some options um but just know that there's uh, it's a gray area isn't it it's not just black and white right no 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 yeah at least not for me i'm i mean others might be able to say this is how i want it this is how it worked but i find i have to like you said i'm forced to sometimes adapt mm -hmm. to what they have and their workflow sure. and timeline and budget and deadline you know sure Client. Sure. Well, I've done, yeah, I guess I've done it all three ways where someone gives me the raw, I start on it knowing that I'll swap it for the graded because I, I won't do things like pick colors or do too much keying. I'll just get, like you said, the bones of it. Mm -hmm. um, I've also delivered composited images on the raw back to raw to be graded as if it were raw. Mm -hmm. And for simple paint outs, like getting rid of stupid stuff that shouldn't be there or rig removal, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, I but anytime you're changing light or or how the scene the scene looks substantially and how light works, you may uh, you know you may need to do some tests and find out what works for you. Um, but yeah, that that's a complicated decision, and I think only time and experimentation for your particular situation you know will will help. But um, if you have any follow ups, definitely ask and or ask in the forums or, or submit more questions, and we can give you maybe if you have there's a specific scenario we can we can touch on that if that's helpful. I think a running theme is for a flame artist is to be flexible and adaptable, and there's no one way to do anything. But there should be, shouldn't there? <laughs> no. Welcome to life, dude. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and I think that's too. I think there's um. You know, have the, Dave have the permission to experiment. Uh, you know, the 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 comp cops aren't going to show up. You know, outside of your office, wondering why you're doing it. It's it's for me. It's a little bit like parenting, where <laughs> so, someone somewhere wrote a book, but they're all full of shit. So yeah. <laughs> whatever works for you. Um, but just know some of those pitfalls and 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 try some new things. And um, yeah, and good luck with that. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you want to ask a question yourself, you can visit us at forum.logic.tv. There will be a pinned post at the top of the forums where you can submit your questions anonymously as well if you choose. And uh, we'll catch you next time. I'm Randy McEntee. I'm MB Amy. And thank you, Randy, for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for being here. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is made possible by Cinesis.io. Cinesis.io, supporting flame artists since 1997. Everybody knows Boris FX makes the best plugins in the business. You can save 15% on all Boris FX plugins, Mocha, Silhouette, Sapphire, Continuum, and Optics by using the coupon code LOGIC-15 at checkout. That's capital L-O-G-I-K-15 at checkout. For more information, check out BorisFX.com. And do you need engineering and technical support? Our newest sponsor, Gunpowder, is here to help. 
from keeping your flame up and running to turnkey flame in the cloud solutions. Check them out at gunpowder.tech. Thanks so much to our sponsors and distinguished Logic Lovelies. Please support the people that support Flame Artists. 